And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. New Mancast is start the month of December. The holiday season is upon us in Drancer. I know that because, and look, we've got some hockey to get to in a sec here, but I saw you, and look, I think of you as a guy that's got his shit together, and yet you cop to the fact that this advent calendar of yours doesn't stand a chance <laughs> no to chance. make it to December 25th. <laughs> no chance. You know what? It, here's how my advent calendar thing always goes, is I make it through like 10 days with some degree of discipline. And then, now, I'm curious, actually, to know if this will happen in quarantine, because outside of quarantine, what happens is I come home one night having gone to, like, the bar, right? And that's when I really do my damage. Uh, But now, in this world, where I can't, um, you know, go out or anything, like, I'm I'm a relatively more temperate individual across the board, I I think there's a shot. I think I might make it to the 24th this year, but that would be, like, a a once-in-a-decade occurrence. A black swan event. (laughs) Give us the goods. Like... What's in your advent calendar? I've got a lint chocolate advent calendar. Uh, so I've got the okay. like four children advent calendar. Um, and you know, as I told uh, as I told former Canucks video coach Ben Cooper when he said, "You know, you can just buy chocolate to me on Twitter." Um, <laughs> I said the problem with that is that then they're not the chocolate's not behind little individual doors, which fill me with Christmas whimsy. So that's not going to cut it for me. Needs to be out of an advent calendar for me. And I I don't do the adult advent calendar because I'm an actual adult and I can drink whatever I want. (laughs) Like that's... Well, look, I I mentioned this because I I want you to know that you're not alone in this, that uh, you're not the only one with advent calendar drama. In fact, uh, Mm -hmm. this has been like the story in our house here over the last, I don't know, a couple of weeks because are you familiar with Haribo, like the German candy company? Of course, company? yeah, delightful. Yeah, so right, like and we have st- like a stash of the stuff in our kitchen cupboard, like it's there all the time. 
But my nice. wife saw a Haribo. My wife saw a Haribo advent calendar online. This is like the first world of first world problems. She saw yes. an advent calendar online that she wanted to order because she and the kids and look, I'll I'll admit I eat some, but not to the degree that they like they are into their Haribo. So she orders this thing and starts tracking its movement from I think it was coming from the Netherlands or somewhere. It never arrived, and like the drama built. In those days leading up to December 1st. Because if your advent calendar is not here on your doorstep by December 1st, what good is it, right? Like, you can't play catch-up, really, with an Mm -hmm. advent calendar. You want it on the ground, landed at your doorstep by the 1st of December. Anyways, uh, it never showed. So now my wife's in a battle with, like, the company. um, Because it wasn't... I mean, it wasn't super expensive, but, you know, probably more than you ought to have spent to have a... Advent calendar shipped, so now we're battling. <laughs> we're, we're bringing in lawyers. We're lawyering up. Not quite, but uh, uh, anyways. So, so we're without uh, an actual advent calendar. But to Ben's point, like we've got this stuff in the cupboard. Like, right. We're not without. We're not. We're not that hard done by. Uh, that's why I said this is a very much a first world problem that our advent calendar didn't show up this year. You know what though, the advent calendar people, uh, of whom I include myself, like they really just like their their individualized Christmas stores. Like it is what it is. They're used to it. It's an exercise in nostalgia. I don't usually have a lot of time for nostalgia, as we all know, but. When it comes to advent calendars, I do. And it's just different. It's just different when it's pulled out of a Christmas box in 24 different segments. And boy, is the mail difficult these days. So I'm sorry. I'm like, I honestly like, this is a heart-wrenching tale of woe from the Patterson household. I feel for your wife and children who are just waiting for the perfect advent. Like, this year was going to be special. Um, that sucks. Like, that's tough. And and I feel like we're all kind of like that right now as we await news on the hockey season, right? Like, it's actually uh, quite a direct comparable for all of us who are like, yeah, and then the hockey season will begin at some point in January. And then instead, owners and players are like, force majeure and on and on. And And let's be clear, it's not really the players, right? Like, owners are like, looking for for additional cash here and hockey's in stasis and it does feel like we're gonna be here for a bit right like we settle in it's gonna be a couple weeks of you know where all the only hockey news we're getting is Pierre Lebrun's labor negotiation updates doesn't it doesn't it feel like that yes and further to that point and like I do feel for people because not only do we not have the NHL but now with these new provincial health regulations and look we're all trying to get past covid at some point but like people have had beer league ripped away from them and i, I know. know like I, I, anecdotally like my buddies like th- th- like that was their one joy like for okay the, the canucks aren't playing you know we're grinding through with that but i've got beer league on wednesday night and now yeah. they don't have beer league on wednesday night so, i know like there there really truly is no hockey and i have to say that look this job is great like when it's up and running and the NHL's going and traveling around and, and cover the Vancouver Cup, like it really, like it is truly, it's a dream job. I, the one drawback or one of the few drawbacks for me is with the schedule that I keep though, coming yeah. and going and traveling and game nights and everything else is I can't commit to a beer league team. Like I have played, played hockey growing up all through my teen years and then kind of got away from it for a little bit. And then got back, and when I worked at CKNW, Fox was in the same building, and Fox had 
uh, a media team. And it was awesome because they would put out a call over the air for people. We would supply the opponent. We, the Seafox team would come to you and play on Monday nights. But you had to raise, I think it was 1500 bucks at the time for charity and secure the ice. And then we would go and play. And it was awesome. And I loved it. And it was... You know, it was radio station guys, but it was it was true beer league. I mean, these these whoever we were playing, they they were yeah. the epitome of beer league hockey. And now that I'm just like I'm on the move and everything else, like I'm not going to pay the league fees to be able to play once a month. And mm-hmm. people have said like, well, be a spare, but same thing. Like I just my schedule doesn't permit it, so like I'm not playing hockey, and I haven't for the last couple of years. And I, I do I miss that part of it. So I understand, like I get where these people are coming from that. Now you're taking my beer league away too. Like that just flat out sucks. Yeah, it does. It just flat out sucks. But it's, you know, where we got to be, I guess. I mean, yeah. it's just so frustrating. And obviously, the Bonnie Henry unveiling the news that a, you know, <laughs> the, a big infection uh, spike in the interiors directly attributed to a hockey team that went and played in Alberta. And it's just like, yeah, like, you know, that's that's the that's what's so difficult about the moment we're in you know like just it's it it feels like the things that we're all best at right like as a species i mean like what we're all best at is getting together and doing cool things and that's kind of ripped away from us this christmas yeah and and christmas is the holiday where that benefits the most like i'm really trying to figure out I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to come up with ideas to like do family things uh digitally in a world where like obviously someone someone in the generation like my dad's generation is going to struggle with the zoom like how do we how do you have the christmas spirit when people are like you know cutting in and out of zoom (laughs) it's tough like it's really challenging (laughs) we'll make it we'll make it work though merry christmas is this thing on can you see me (laughs) yeah I can hear you. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Hey, speaking of, is this thing on? Uh, I thought this was pretty cool. And and you probably saw it, too. We had a bunch of people that tweeted at us. Spotify came out with its sort of year in review uh, wrapped mm-hmm. for individual users. And I saw a bunch of people that were sending me screen grabs of you know their listening habits for the year. And the VanCast was like their number one podcast. And that's just awesome. Like, it's so cool to me that, you know, you and I do this and we have fun with it. And look, we cover the Canucks and this is sort of an extension of what we do. But it's always fun and we try to have fun with it. And to have people, like, a guy that, I think it was Brian that posted the picture, like a thousand hours of listening or something. Like, it was amazing. That's just, it's incredible. Like, it really, it just blows my mind. It's really cool. And thanks to everyone for their support. And even if you're sending us the photos where, like, the van casts in fifth, we appreciate it. (laughs) You're still still listening. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't have the ego at all. And I know you don't either, Jeff, where, like, you know, you get the photo and it's like, we're number five and the other four are all local Canucks podcasts. <laughs> like, it's not like you, we're four behind, like, Spitting Chicklets or whatever and, and the 31 Thoughts podcast. Like, we're number five behind, like, <laughs> Canucks conversation and the broadcast. And they're like, we love your pod. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> but it still means a lot. Like, it's still, I still, I have that moment where I laugh at myself, but I still, we still appreciate it. We can't thank our listeners enough. Absolutely, and and we touched on your mailbag and the uh, support you got for all those questions, and we talked a little bit about some of the questions on the last podcast. One of the things that we didn't talk about, though, you know, we talked about your trade tier piece, 
Mm-hmm. But you had touched on it in the mailbag, and I meant to bring this up, but I, I think this is fascinating and really curious to see, you know, in addition to things like the Taxi Squad and expanded rosters and all that kind of stuff, is this notion of the trade deadline for Canadian teams, if they're playing in an all-Canadian division and we're still looking at any sort of border restrictions. Like, yeah. this to me is... I don't know. Like, I'm not sure that there's a good answer to this if players coming from the States would have to quarantine. Like, you go all in, you make the Tyler Toffoli deal to bolster your team ahead of the deadline, and then he's got to sit for, for two weeks before he can play for you? Like, how does that work? Right. And and I even think about it with the, you know, whenever we reach an agreement in terms of the PA and the NHL and get going here, you know, are Canadian teams going to be at a disadvantage shopping in free agency? Because anyone they bring in might not be able to come to camp unless you get the deal done, like, day of, right? Like, there's going, it's going to be tough for the Canucks to sign, say, you know, a U.S.-based player, like a guy like an Eric Halla, right? Just to pull a hypothetical remaining unsigned UFA out of, out of the air. Uh, because, you know, it, depending on how the schedule works, like, could he even come to camp? Or would you be debuting him like three games into the season, right? Like, isn't that a disadvantage for Canadian teams? Wouldn't that place a premium on a Canadian-based UFA, a guy like a Travis Hamanick, who we all know lives in Western Canada? Um, you know, that's that. those dynamics are going to be so complicated as the season goes along. And I do think it's going to make player transactions of, of any order, like whether it's signing, whether it's call-ups, whether it's trades, like it's all going to be more difficult. And that's going to place a real strain on management teams across the league. It's probably why management teams, when you when you talk to front office execs, like the amount of time that they're spending just tracking local regulations and chatting with governments and chatting with other teams about best practices and following the news in various counties, like it's wild how much that side of the job has come to the fore for a variety of NHL front offices, including the Vancouver Canucks. Which is why it's going to come back to, uh, this is going to be a thing now, is choppering to the glacier to have a practice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're going to get the whole team up there, I think, at some point here, away from everybody else. No germs up there. And they can just that's where they're going to have to have their practices. Yeah, I mean... Sounds fun. Like, that's awesome. Um, Might be a little difficult to cover. (laughs) You know, I think we'll have to go hiking, J-Pad. I don't think we're going to get a ride on the chopper. So, um, (laughs) you know, might be a little tricky. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, that's – look, the Canucks should totally do that. They should totally do that. Charge pay-per-view. It'd be cool. Just remember not to forget the barbecue and beer this time. Right. And look, this is honest, and I mean this sincerely, like this is where the VIPs have a role to play. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Because of the thing that you mentioned with players coming in and player movement, like I had an agent tell me that he had at least one UFA client who has agreed to terms with a team, but that team needs to make some things happen before they can announce that deal. And I, yep. I suspect that that is the case around hockey. So over the holiday period here, like, you know, I, I say this to the VIPs, like brush up on your Eric Halla and what he looks like. And if you see guys at YVR or around town, like it wouldn't surprise me if we get this announcement, the training camp is up and running and all of a sudden guys pop up. Like, you know, there's nothing that would stop a player from coming to town early, doing his quarantine, and being ready to hit the ground running because the deal is already in place. It's just that, you know, there has to be a move or two that's made before then that's going to free up the cap space necessarily or necessary to actually confirm that signing. Yeah, although the the contracts in the drawer, teams like the Islanders have like four of those guys, right? Like the Islanders are believed to have agreed to terms with Corey Schneider. Remember remember when the Islanders signed Corey Schneider and still haven't signed Corey Schneider? Um, Schneider Is that not official? That's not official. Matt Martin. Oh, Matt Martin, too. I think Andy Green as well. Andy Green will appear on your UFA lists. All three of those guys have deals in the drawer. Um, I think there's. I think there might be another one. Like I'm not sure about Derek Broussard, but he might be one, too. So I, I think the, like there's some teams that have done a lot of them. Um, and then are just waiting on, like, in, in the Islanders' case, it's more the Barzil deal sort of dropping than anything else. Um, but there's some teams that have done those, but I, I think the vast majority of guys are still just waiting for clarity so that they can, you know, figure out exactly how to maximize their income, uh, especially with teams throwing anvils through, through much of it. But, you know, I also think it's worth, and, and this is what I wrote on Wednesday, right? Like, it's worth acknowledging that this is no longer the offseason. Like, we are not in an offseason anymore. We are in a pause. We are in another pause. And I think this pause, at this point, I, I'd expect it to go through Christmas. Like, I don't think we're going to have clarity on what the season looks like until the other side of the holiday. And, you know, in the intervening three weeks, um, I, I just expect the news to be focused on squabbling. And, and maybe at some point, uh, an RFA like a Pierre-Luc Dubois or Matt Barzel signs, but I mean, aside from that, I just don't see much on the horizon, on the immediate horizon for us in terms of, you know, hard hockey news. So that's just going to allow me then to continue to live in the past. As I've said on this podcast, I find myself sort of marking the passage of time with this notion of where was I, where were the Canucks on this day a year ago? And this day, as we record this on December the 3rd, is a fairly significant date one year ago because Alex Burroughs took his rightful spot in the Ring of Honor. Oh, Great wow. ceremony beforehand. And against Ottawa. Remember, Ottawa was in town and the Canucks and the Senators and it was Alex Burroughs' night, Ring of Honor. But really, sort of the takeaway from that night was that was Antoine Roussel's return to the lineup. Yeah. After knee surgery, after all that time off, and a minute and 50 seconds after the opening faceoff, takes a feed from Adam Godet. And he scores. And in typical Rooster fashion, you know, the celebration. And then he pointed. Remember, he pointed up at yeah. Alex Burrow's spot in the Ring awesome. of Honor? That was one of the best goals of the year. Like, that was one of the coolest goals any Canucks player scored last year. Yeah. Like, I mean. For sure. And, and, 
And then it went further than that because... He scored again. So here's here's Roussel. <laughs> right, like he, he misses the first two months. There's all this talk about, you know, what's he going to be like coming off knee surgery. That's not easy. And he scores less than two minutes into his first game against Ottawa. Then he scored twice the next game against Buffalo. Right. Like, you know, you couldn't ask for a better return to the lineup for this guy that's supposed to bring energy. Well, he brought energy in, you know, bunches in those first couple of games. Unfortunately, though, and, and, and so I, don't want to, I kind of want to, you know, transition this into a broader discussion about Antoine Roussel and where he fits in all of this, because you were there in the bubble. You watched every single Canuck game. He didn't play a lot he didn't. in the playoffs. Nope. Right? And I think got into his own head thinking that he was going to be the neutralizing force to counter Ryan Reeves and the chirping of Robin Leonard before every game at center against Vegas. Like, I I, I don't know. Like, I, to me, I think Antoine Roussel kind of took himself off his game. And he was one of those guys when Travis Green shortened the bench and they were in a ton of tight games in the third period. Like, he didn't play much. Yeah. He, yeah. He I was looking at it. In fact, he played... He logged more than 10 minutes in the bubble in Edmonton once, and it was the opening game against Minnesota. That was it. Wow. He didn't play. Yeah, no, he didn't. And it's unfortunate, too, because he looked good at Phase 3 camp, but that obviously didn't translate for him. And when you consider what Roussel's done for his career and how effective he's been as a guy capable of playing up the lineup when you need it or you know filling in in tough minutes as a defensive player... You know, he played almost no difficult comp last season. And, you know, we're, we're getting to a point where, like, I thought Roussel's game was rounding out before the pause back in the spring. And I actually expected him to be a pretty effective piece for the Canucks in the playoffs, just based on his historical track record and the distance he that since put uh, between him and his surgery. Uh, that didn't come to pass, and now you're looking at a guy who is, you know, 31 years old, and you'd start to expect to see some diminishing returns from him at this point, you know, independent of, of any health concerns or issues. And, yeah, I mean, he's going to have a lot to prove, I think, because this is a guy who, when he's on his game, when he's been at his best, as he was for the Canucks in the 18-19 season before his surgery, like, he can be a really helpful top nine piece. I don't think he was at any point that player for the Canucks in the 1920 campaign or in the bubble. Um, and typically speaking, players don't improve and, and hit an, hit another level uh, the season after. Now, with, with the injury concern, just like with Yolevi, we sort of look at him a little bit differently and give him a little bit more grace because perhaps things change a bit as they put time between them and going under the knife. You know, I, I do think... I don't think I'm writing off what Roussel can potentially bring, but uh, or I'm certainly not writing off what Roussel can potentially bring, but he's got a lot to prove. Like he might be among the Canucks that I'm looking at with the most to prove when they were, when the club starts up again, if the club starts up again at some point in the new year. Yeah. So I, I just went back yesterday. I was looking at it. Game seven against Vegas. Remember it was scoreless yep. with six minutes to go in the third period. Game seven against Vegas. Roussel played six minutes and 29 seconds and only two shifts in the third period, none over the final 11 and a half minutes of that yeah. hockey game. So uh, almost a non-factor when that series and the Canucks with a chance to deliver the knockout blow against the you know legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Uh, Roussel was in uniform, but he, but he barely played. Yeah, and, and with two years and 
at three million per remaining, even though his salary is lower than that in the in the remaining two years of his deal. Like the Canucks are going to need more from Roussel, right? Like they they are they are going to need um, some bottom six wingers to contribute like an awful lot more. And with guys like Tyler Mott and Zach McEwen sort of earning more minutes trust uh, as as we've gone on here uh, and guys like Pod Colson potentially joining the team at some point this season not to mention having to fend off Hoglander and potentially Cole Lind I mean it's going to get harder and harder to get those minutes just because there's more bodies coming there's more bodies coming more guys who've had reps uh, more guys who've you know turned heads for the coach and the management team and um, you know, we'll sort of see where this goes because if Roussel can be what he's traditionally been, which is, you know, an agitating guy, an underrated playmaker on the rush and a guy who typically helps you drive play a bit, um, you know, then he's a useful piece. But getting there is going to be like we haven't seen him do that now in 18 months, really not for a sustained period of time. So retrieving that game, uh, that'll be crucial for a Canucks team that, you know, can't afford to have, in my view, like in a world where Roussel might be scratched again, right? That you're looking at probably 9 million in the press box. Like that's, that's a big hit in a flat cap world. Right. And he doesn't kill penalties. So it's all at even strength for him. Although I guess he saw a little bit of like second power play unit, but that's not where he should be. Can you draw a line in any way from questions about Roussel at 31 moving forward here and the addition of Jace Howerluck in any way? I don't think so. I like I don't I don't think so. No. I think Roussel and okay. Jace Howerluck are very different players. Uh, the the motor mouth thing, they might have that in common, but that's it. Um Roussel is a much bigger gentleman um than Howerluck. Howerluck's more pure pest than than what than the sort of shit disturber that Roussel can be. Like there I don't see I don't see those as comparable guys aside from the fact that, you know, uh, they'd probably be annoying to hear. Uh, the in the fifty fifth minute of a game when they haven't shut up the whole time. <laughs> I, I have to say, like I, I pull for Antoine Roussel because he is such the a best. good quote, right? He's the best, like not. I mean, the quotes are great. The fact that they're delivered with a French accent, I think, makes them better. And Loki, one of my favorite moments, and I know you remember it well. I, I, it may <laughs> well have been after either that Ottawa or Buffalo game, but it was you and Wyatt putting the request to talk to Antoine Roussel, and I think he'd gone for treatment, so he wasn't in the room, and the rest of us were all huddled up at the front of the dressing room waiting for whichever goalie had played that night, right? Like the big semicircle mm-hmm. of media waiting for the goalie, and out of the corner of my eye, I see Roussel come back into the room, and Ben Brown, the Canucks PR guy, he indicates that here are the two guys that wanted to talk to you, and in one sort of simultaneous motion, <laughs> Roussel reaches out with one arm on each side for like the, both you and Wyatt and like the <laughs> s- sort of slap on the neck or the high you know high back <laughs> gentlemen <laughs> it, was just, it was so him it was such a good good dressing room yeah. moment it was hilarious oh he's 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 the best and so you know obviously obviously you root for guys like that but also Roussel's been a guy who well before I'd ever had a chance to interview him, I liked his game just because, first of all, he, he drove play, and, and second of all, he's, you know, blood and guts player. Like, he's that kind of guy. So, you know, hopefully he, hopefully for the Canucks, he's able to, 
you know, find some of that old form a little bit and, and fight off sort of the decay that's inevitable as players age in this fast league. And, uh, you know, if he can, he can be a useful piece. And if he can't, like, I do wonder if he's going to be on the fringes of playing every night. Um, just because when you look at the bodies that the Canucks are bringing in here um, and you look at the, like, especially if they add, you know, a Hala type for their top six, like, then you're looking at, you know, four spots avail- available for Vertanen, Mott, maybe Brandon Sutter if he plays on the wing, McEwen, um, Roussel, Howerluck, and then you get down to Hoglander, Pod, Coles, and Lind. Like, that's nine names for four spots, right? Like, that, it's going to be it's going to be really tough for guys to earn that every night, every day kind of role, um, especially when you consider that guys like Maude aren't going anywhere because of their PK impact. Yeah, and you touched on it uh, a few moments ago. You know, at the COVID pause back in March, like, for sort of the two weeks leading up to that, I thought those were easily Roussel's best couple of weeks of the season no question on a line with Godet in the middle and a lot of the time it was Zach McEwen on right wing and that was a really effective line for the Vancouver Canucks yeah well I I think I mean you know in an ideal world right like a fourth line that had Godet Mott and one of a Roussel or Howerluck type like that sounds like a relatively fast relatively young relatively affordable line like that's kind of ideally what you'd want but they kind of need Godet to play third line center just because of what Sutter and Beagle are capable of at five on five at this point. Right. And, and they're essentially, uh, they're pretty similar players at this juncture of their careers. I, I mean, they're PK specialist sort of face-off guys, although uh, Sutter's not a face-off ace by any means. He's more of a two-way guy. Uh, but you know, like it, it's like when I, when we talk about the Canucks bottom six, I increasingly feel like we're talking about, uh, two fourth lines like we're not talking about you know a, a standard third line that's capable of really handling a matchup and and that creates a, a variety of different dynamics uh, for the Canucks top six it especially creates tougher uh, matchups for Bo Horvat who played you know 90th percentile tough minutes based on quality of comp and Pedersen who you know last season anyway it was the Canucks's preference often to find a way to get them against you know secondary or third tertiary comp um that's going to need to change like Pedersen's going to have to take more tough sledding I think he wants that I think the Canucks know that they need to play that way to sustain you know their own play style like any type of play style where you control play at all features Pedersen playing more tough minutes and you know then then sort of what we see in the bottom end of the lineup but I think the days of sicking Beagle, Mott, and Schaller on top six comp. Like, I think those have to be over for the Canucks uh, if they're going to take any kind of step this season and if they're going to integrate any types of young players, which they clearly are intent on doing um, this upcoming campaign. Well, let's just finish up with a quick thought then on young players, uh, not guys that are in the organization yet and, and may never be, but... I think it has to be seen as a win at the very least that the Canucks get a couple of seventh-round picks invited to the Swedish World Junior Camp. Like, seventh-round picks are generally, you know, I don't want to say throwaways, but, I mean, the longest of long shots. But to get not one, but two, and Arvid Kostmer and uh, Victor Persson to the main camp for the Swedish team. They haven't made it yet uh, for the World Juniors in the bubble in Edmonton, if, in fact, that tournament goes ahead. But, you know... 
like the Canucks have already shown that uh, they've had some success deeper in drafts, and I, I think that uh, that represents some sort of win at the very least to get guys into a World Junior camp for a team like Sweden. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the Victor Person pick, uh, he might play in the dub at some point, well, whether it's this season or next. Um, you know, for is it Kamloops? Or is it Cologne? It's Kamloops, absolutely. Kamloops, yeah. yeah. No, so, yeah. yeah, you're tracking him closely. He's your favorite prospect. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, but look, that's that's tremendous. And, I've, and I've, found him a, I've found him a place to live. I've got a, <laughs> you know, the team will take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> you're his billet family. Um, but, <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> restaurant recommendations. Yeah. White spot. Um, no, um, but <laughs> Arvid Kosmar, um, interesting, high-skilled guy. Victor Person too, like you know, I like I like defenders, especially picked late in the draft, especially a guy like Person who you know didn't play a ton. Like, there's a lot of reasons to believe in him. Um, you know, I think he was one of the guys who was really a 2020 draft pick through and through, and that a lot of what they ID'd and liked about him was ID'd through video, right? Like, I think he's Person's like the new wave of like the true video draft pick and uh so yeah it'll be interesting to see how he does it'll be interesting to see how they play uh but the more world junior representation the canucks have like the the more hockey this market will have to be interested in right as we go through a uh christmas season with a unfortunate lack of hockey you know one other thing and we'll probably bring this up again but as we talk about where we were last year like you know, it was the two games before Christmas, um, or I guess it was the three games before Christmas, right? Because you had the Vegas game on the 19th, you had the Habs yep. game on the 21st, and then was it the Oilers game on the 23rd? Oilers yes. were here, yes. Yeah. yeah. So those three wins, right, with the Vegas one being by far the most dramatic, but the Oilers win was the first time where we saw... Quinn Hughes really play a, a matchup role at the top of the lineup, right? Like Edler had just come back from his injury and the Canucks played him with Stetcher a, a, on the third pair and Hughes, Hughes Tanev versus McDavid that night. And, and Hughes and Tanev not only did a creditable job, uh, McDavid didn't have a point, point at five on five, but Hughes scored the game winner, right? And it was like this moment where it was like, okay, we've seen Quinn Hughes do all this crazy offensive stuff. But this is the game where he's sort of arrived playing a premium top of the lineup role against the best player in the world um, and holding his own defensively, right? Like this was a different type of Quinn Hughes game. And that's the game that really stands out to me. Like I remember right before Christmas, Quinn Hughes has that game and I go away from for the holidays. And I just remember thinking like as I walked home from the rink that night, like in the wee early hours of Christmas Eve, I just remember thinking to myself like, oh, man. To be able to do that at 20, like, this kid is unreal. That's one of my big Christmas memories from Christmas 2019. It's too bad we won't have similar Canucks observations uh, or thoughts as the holidays approach this year. Yeah, well, December a year ago was a crazy month for the Canucks because it looked like it was slipping away, and then that Vegas game when Levo got hurt, I mean, that was the start of, I think it was seven straight wins, part of that 14-3 and stretch that, you know, then had people fired up about this hockey club and like look out and what's possible and and ultimately the season was cut short uh, we know uh, how things ended for them there uh, we also know how things ended for the Tampa Lightning and that was hoisting the Stanley Cup and you saw it in the bubble in Edmonton John Cooper 
Uh, the head coach of the Bolts is Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun's guest this week on Two Man Advantage at The Athletic, always full of terrific stories as John Cooper and uh, has some more now to add to his uh, arsenal uh, of his time in the bubble and, and ultimately leading his team to the Stanley Cup. Uh, we always say this too, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. You can rate and subscribe to the Vancast on Apple. We appreciate everybody's support uh, throughout this calendar year of 2020 and uh, we say to the beer leaguers hang in there and to you Drancer I say a little more discipline when it comes to that <laughs> advent calendar. Just, just show me a little discipline on the chocolate front. I promise nothing. I commit to nothing. I will feel no shame when I slip up. <laughs> Alright, well let's see what this uh, next week brings in the hockey world. If anything, what the next month brings. We do know that it will bring you more VanCast and that's certainly something to uh, celebrate here uh, in the holiday season. For Drancer, it's J-Pat. Thanks so much uh, for your support and for listening to another edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.